1: All right, guys. Welcome back to the Agent Investor Podcast. I've got a special guest here, Jessica Wilkinson. Welcome, Jessica. How's everything going today?
2: Hey, Tom. Thanks for having me on. Hitting the ground running as usual.
1: Awesome. Um, So yeah, like we kind of talked about before we actually got going, You know, obviously we talked about the, the purpose of the podcast is to tell stories about successful agents who have already invested. And your comment to me was that you shout that from the rooftop every single day. So I'm excited to kind of hear your story because we didn't get into that. So why don't we start there? Like, can you kind of give us a background about like, when you got into real estate, like when you started investing and stuff like that?
2: Yeah, sure. No, you're right. I mean, I, anytime anyone asks me what I do, I'm like, Oh, this is my moment to share. And I can't wait to influence somebody else to do what I do. But it's not usually, um, you know, asked in the form of you're an agent, and investor. It's, When I tell people what they do, they're like, oh, wow, that's interesting. So, how I got started in it, I mean, this is my third career. I was in the the Corps for eight years. And then um, I was a court reporter, stenographer in the Superior Court for 10 years. And when I retired uh, from injury, you know, I had a whole year to think about what I wanted to do with my life. And real estate kept coming back up and back up. And, you know, open houses were always something I would go kick around and I would think, man, these flippers. I wonder how they're doing what they're doing. They, they're turning around really crappy products and making a ton of money. I wonder if I could do that. You know, so just kind of dabbling in a little bit. And then when I just decided, I was like, you know, I'm going to get my license and kind of figure out this, this real estate situation. And uh, soon enough, uh, I wound up going to a bunch of investor meetings within San Diego and kind of rubbing elbows with other investors and seeing what they were doing and asking a ton of questions. And before I knew it, I met this uh, very small group of investors that were flipping houses in San Diego and decided to hire a couple of agents and you know I was so gung-ho I was like I'll be your agent so they taught me on the ground about acquiring properties how to analyze properties um, what to look for what flip calculations mean construction costs Um, so one thing led to another and I just figured I can acquire properties I know how to talk to sellers I'm putting it in front of the investors so I'm meeting buyers and I'm designing them at the same time for them. And they're the ones making profit. So eventually it was just time to go on my own. It was about, and i say eventually, but it happened really fast. Within about a year, I was ready to fly.
1: Yeah, we. I so one of the things, the themes that we always hit on is like, you know, agents a lot of times spend a lot of their career kind of making other people rich. And mm-hmm. I don't even say that in a negative way, because there's no issue with helping a client make money. Sure. That's obviously a good thing. Um, There's no issue with helping a client build out a portfolio or flip a house or whatever, but you know, my one of the things we always hit on is like, why not do even a little bit of that yourself? It seems like that transition, like one year, happened really fast for you. Mm -hmm. So when you were when you did get your licensing, you started. Were you thinking right out of the gate like I want to invest, or did did that take a little bit of time?
2: No, I always knew I wanted to invest in real estate in one form or fashion, and I well, I should probably sell this for a little bit and, you know, stockpile a little bit of cash. You know, I was thinking very traditional methods. And then, you know, the first couple of commissions came I'm like, man, by the time I pay Uncle Sam and I pay marketing expenses, how am I ever going to save a hundred thousand dollars? So as you know, most people do, they go on Google, how to start investing in real estate. And then I was starting to question the investors I'm with. I'm like, they just bought another million dollar property and another million dollar property. And I would just get in the dirt with them and just ask questions. Are you writing checks? You know, it says cash on the offer. Where are you getting the money? So I would just start asking questions and asking questions and realizing, dude, they're not selling houses at $15,000 commission checks and saving for 20 years. They're not even spending their own money. So that's where the light bulb, you know, the light bulb and the bells were going off going, okay, I, I love real estate. I know that. But I, if I'm if I'm doing the math here, <laughs> I won't get my first rental property for ten years, and these guys are buying ten at a time. So I'm going to take a little bit of this information that they're giving me. And um, like that year of education with them was huge because it kind of gave me the kick in the pants to say, I can get a hard money loan. I can still sell real estate and save it and put it into marketing and whatnot. But at the same time, I can build my portfolio much faster if I take some notes from these, you know, well-educated and well-versed investors around me.
1: I love it, and yeah, I mean it's it's interesting because I've got a, a real estate brokerage. We've got close to three hundred and fifty agents. I network with agents all the time, and um, you know when I when I when I ask an agent like you know what's your goal kind of income, and it's funny because this has always been the case. It doesn't matter if it was fifteen years ago when I started or today, it's always six figures. Right. And to make six figures as an agent, I mean you're in San Diego, I'm in Boston. I'm assuming you're still in San Diego, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. You're in San Diego. I'm in Boston. The prices are high here. Making six figures isn't too crazy, mm-hmm. but to make like a magnitude more of that, it becomes fairly challenging where the dollar per hour on the investing side is just so much higher. And I'm going to ask you this, like, I mean, what, what would you say in your market, the average profit on a flip is in San Diego, just average.
2: You know, we, we, I won't put it in dollar, I'll back into the dollar amount here and I'll do it fairly quickly. But normally what we look for is 100% return. So if you're buying a $500,000 property, which is pretty low here, if you get yep. $500,000, you're, you're good. If you buy yep. a $500,000 property and you put $100K into it, you're expected when you sell to get back your $100K plus your $100K profit. So that's our 100% return. So it's just a numbers value there. Um, It really depends what field you're playing in. If you're playing in the low-hanging fruits and the volume, the $500,000 properties, you do 10 a year. I mean, that's great, but you're trucking. You're turning and burning The way the investors see it is, yes, there's a lot of volume, there's less risk because you're diversifying all your flips and your uh, investments in each one. But I found my niche of luxury flips, I would rather do less volume Mm -hmm. and put more into a market that's less competitive. Most investors don't pay over $750,000 here for a house. I've gone up to 2 million. I have less competition. So my return is much bigger. Is it a risk of losing it all? There certainly is, but um, but so far the payout has been much better for me. So if I put in four hundred thousand, I expect to sell and have the four hundred back plus four hundred profit. Yeah. So I can make more with less work, (laughs) higher risk, but I'm not turning as much.
1: Yep. And so um, you know, like regardless of whatever the the average profit is, Mm -hmm. you know, again, we've got an agent you know, most agents shooting to make a hundred, maybe if they're like killing it, they're making 200. And you're talking about like doing one deal potentially and right. making more than that. And obviously right. like doing one deal a year, isn't even a full-time job. Um, no. so getting back to like where you started a little bit, cause I think where you started was interesting. You kind of figured out you wanted to do investing right away. Mm-hmm. Um, you did like a one-year internship of some sort. i we to call it an internship. But like- It was you were a learning. very
2: expensive hobby, as my friends would call it. How is your expensive hobby going? they saw me pouring money into marketing and trying to figure it out. And I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to keep going.
1: Well, you, you got yourself around other people that were doing it. And that's another theme that we always kind of like preach and talk about. And it's a very common thing for most of the guests to have gotten around other people that were doing it. Now, you said you, you networked your way into that group. Can you just elaborate a little bit on how that happened?
2: So my first brokerage I was with was just by happenstance. I had my license for about a year, wasn't sure what I was gonna do with it, still enjoying the downtime and being at home and kind of in a frozen state, but I wound up joining this really small mom and pop brokerage in my community just because you know I knew the people. And I asked a lot of questions, hey, how do I get into investing? They're like, I don't know, go figure it out. And I said, Well, how do I market myself? And say, I don't know, go figure it out. So one thing led to another, and I'm looking up, you know, meetups, because that's all I knew in my community about how to meet other people with common interests. So I'd go on meetup.com investing uh, in San Diego. And I found all these different groups and I just joined all of them. And Mm -hmm. then I came across SDCIA, which is a San Diego um, investor association, and they would have monthly meetups and I would get all dolled up and, you know, wear my suit and show up. And they thought for sure I was a real estate agent, ready to write a check for my investor who was at home. (laughs) But I'm just... So nervous, but I'm like shaking a lot of hands, and I'm coming to the front of the room. And you know, when they said, "Hey, it's question and answer time," and I'm the first one asking questions, and you know, I just I just let all of the, you know, the first impressions roll off my back and say, "Listen, I yes, I'm a real estate agent. I'm not writing checks for someone else. I want to do this, and I'd have to get over, um, some of the insecurities that maybe I'm in the room with too big of players, and I'm never gonna do it." You know, so I got over that insecurity pretty fast because my goals were so much bigger.
1: Yeah, I like the insecurity thing because everybody, everybody always says that. And I felt that. And as I started doing it, I always tell people like, like I used to, I, I, I was doing a lot of speaking like a couple of years ago, teaching people how to invest in my market. And um, what I always used to say to people is the thing that I realized after doing it for like five or six years is um you think that you're so out of place and that those people are so much better than you. And then you start to get around them and you're like, wait a second, Uh like this is just a regular person that like, yeah, like what they're doing is super impressive, but they, they themselves necessarily like aren't that much, you know, different than, than me. And what I would always say is like, if you mixed up a bunch of successful investors with a bunch of people who have never invested and you walked around and you just talked to them for like two minutes, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I think that's one thing that people always struggle with is like, Oh, somebody's an investor and it it automatically the perception is somehow like they've done something or they, they are something that's like a lot above what you are, which is just not the case. And I'm sure that, you know, like your story is similar where you walked in, you felt like that. And you're like, wait a second. I can yeah. do this.
2: It took a little bit of time. I would, I don't know. I would say several months of going and just starting to strike up conversations with people left and right of me. And then you're right. I, I quickly realized these, all of these people are in the same room because they want to learn too. You know, these, the, those uber successful ones, um, are not the ones that are here asking questions. They've already got it figured out. You know, yeah. they're at home doing their own business. They're busy, but the people are wanting to learn and absorb and to network. They're here just like me. You know, so I walked in with all these insecurities and feeling like, God, and you're right. Investor is a big title. I'm, I'm just a real estate agent. What do I know about investing? You know, so I'm not going to say anything. But it quickly turned to, Hey, there. This guy here wants to learn and he's an agent too. Like, why do I feel insecure about that? So, I mean, it's really just kind of get squatting up, right? I don't know if you guys have heard that term, you squat up and you figure out I'm, I'm no less than the people around me and I can do it too.
1: So when you teamed up with those investors kind of out of the gate that were, you know, teaching you that stuff, whatever, um, like what was your, what value were you providing? for them in order for them to help train and mentor and coach you and kind of be a part of their team?
2: I, you know, it sounds like it happened fairly quickly. And I would say over the course of time, it it probably felt like that six months to a year. Um, I met one of the investors at these SDCIA meetings and, um, I, maybe the attraction to me was that I was so eager to learn. I was so eager to help them get more business too. And investors love people who wanna bring them business, right? They love agents and wholesalers who wanna help support their business. And I was so eager to learn and do that. I don't know. I think I was just very persistent in the fact of like, hey, if you teach me this, if you help me, I will bring you business. I will pound pavement every single day and I'll bring you deals. If you take a chance on me, I'll make sure I can do that for you. And I, I don't know if it was just luck or persistence or both. I don't know if there's even such thing as luck when you come to, to just persistence.
1: But No, I don't think so. I mean, what you just, so the, as simple as it is, mm-hmm. what you just said is essentially, if you help me, I'm going to help you get more deals. And there there can be a million different things like that, like, and I'm talking about people who want to invest, they've never done it, they want to get around other people that invest. So you went into the mindset where if you help me, I'm going to help you. And again, that's the part that I think like gets missed a lot where it's like someone's just saying like, oh, hey, can you help me? And then it kind of falls on deaf ears because the person's like, hey, well, what's in it for me? So I mean,
2: there's no free lunches, right? Like I'm I mean, I came at it from the perspective of what can I do for you to help support your business and the byproduct is I get to learn what you're doing. You know, yep. I, didn't, I don't think I came at them being like, Hey, train me, train me. Nobody wants extra <laughs> weight on them. Right. But I came out it going, Hey, I've got my real estate license. I have a lot of tools in my belt. I'm super motivated. What can I do for you? You know, that simple question went really far.
1: And during that year period, like what were you doing did you end up were you able to help them in any capacity
2: i was so i really dove hard into marketing i didn't realize when i got my real estate license i needed to be a digital marketer <laughs> so i learned fairly quickly how to market to the masses and get in touch with sellers you know that also helps your real estate business as well but when you have a specific niche and a specific Seller, you're looking for your marketing has to be very direct. So they would tell me, okay, you know, these are the people I'm looking for, and these are the areas I'm targeting. And I'm not even kidding. I went to the printer and I would print out a thousand flyers and I'd drop them on doors. Some people would yell at me and be like, you need postage. But like, I just hit the pavement and I'd pick up the phone and I'd figure out, okay, some of these are probate. So I need to talk to people going through probate and get hung up on a lot. I was just trying to figure it out. Like, how do we get directly in front of sellers? Yep. But yeah, they just told me, hey, this is what we need. These are the areas we need them. Go. I'm like, okay.
1: So, what are some examples of the strategies that you used in order to get in front of those sellers?
2: I mean, digital marketing was my first go to. I mean, I was. Um, scripting. I I did sign up for a coaching course early on about marketing and how to position your approach, like what to say on camera um, to get people to attract to what you're looking for. So I did a digital marketing course for a couple of months, um, produced a lot of videos. I didn't get a ton of calls on that yet. And then I positioned myself with a, um, a website developer who specifically targets investors and real estate agent investors for their platform of their website that already has a lot of the SEO built into it. So that helped me too. So when my videos were getting clicks, I knew where to send them. So it was a lot of things I didn't even know about It was technology and uh, marketing.
0: Let's take a quick break from the episode. To get weekly video trainings and connect with other agent investors, join our free private Facebook group. Just go to joincameroncoaching.com and we'll add you to the group. We'd love to see you there.
1: So um, what kind of, what, what was the point? I know you said it was like somewhere around a year in where you said, okay, like, you know, I've learned enough, or I feel like I'm ready to take a leap. Like what was that like? And what did your first deal look like?
2: Well, there were, it was just one specific, actually, thanks for asking that. There was one specific deal that I sent to my investors. I was truly passionate about this project. I literally had to talk them into it because they didn't want to do it. I mean, we went to the project, gosh, three, four times and me going, you have to buy this one. And he's like, okay, well, you know, I'm, we're going to buy it. We're taking this chance on it. We don't, we don't trust it. We're going to go for it. So from the convincing to, well, I'm not going to do it anyway. So if you design it, we'll do it. So I'm like, okay, acquisitions. I designed the whole thing. He's like, well, we can't get a crew that far out East. Can you find a crew? I found the crew. And when we sold it and I made just my agent commission split and I saw how much I made them, I think in that moment, it was a pivotal moment for me to feel like I can do this now. They've trained me enough. It wasn't that I turned against them. It was more like, I, you know, it's time for me to do this for myself. Yep. Um, it was an empowering moment to see that. It wasn't because I deserved more. It was more like I've been trained enough now that I feel confident going on my own.
1: Yeah. And I've had that happen to me too. I think it's funny. Like I've had agents before push me on deals that like, I'm like, I don't know about this deal. Mm-hmm. And it's funny again, going back to like what you said about the confidence, like, you know, after, after you got the feedback that like you were right, that sounds to me like one of the biggest, you know, variables in like you moving forward. Cause it's like, it validated it. Right. Because yeah. you, you came to your investors and for whatever reason, like, it, like I said, it happens to me too. Someone pushes me on a deal and I'm like, I don't like this one. And then I'm wrong, right? Because because mm-hmm. you're not always right. Sometimes like you probably had done more research on that particular deal than they did. And you felt really great about it. And they were like, oh, well, maybe it's okay. Right. Um, and then after that happened, you probably said, okay, I feel good, I can identify moving forward. And now out of curiosity, was that one of those deals that was like a higher price deal?
2: it wasn't it was actually the lowest price deal I mean I got the price down so low but I knew that this particular market was highly sought after it wasn't a you know a beautiful you know one of those markets like coastal areas and you would think would be desirable but I did I spent time talking to people in the community and I knew this was a gold mine
1: yeah so that was the last, well, not the last deal, but that was the last one before you did your first deal. So what did your first deal kind of look like?
2: My first deal was brought to me from an agent, a friend of mine who says, Jess, it's time to do your own deal. And I'm like, nah, I'll send it to one of my investor buyers. I'm, I'm not there yet. I knew I wanted to, but I was still so scared to put my name and my money on it. But she brought it to me. She's like soft market um, one of the inspectors brought it to me. And before I stick it on the market, you have to see it. You have to see it. It's perfect for you. So I went and toured, I'm like, Oh, I can totally do this. But you know, I'll tell you what, I think the scariest moment was picking up that phone and getting a hard money lender to believe in me as a first time flipper that I could use their money to, and pay it back. You know, it was more like, Hey, I'm credit worthy. I can do this. Taking that leap and making that phone call, um, was the hardest part for me. Yeah. That was my first deal.
1: So the other thing that we talk about a lot on this show is like agents always have an advantage with investing. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the advantages that they have, they take for granted. And one of those advantages is getting deals brought to you before anybody else does. Yeah. So, you know, your market is highly competitive as is mine. Mm -hmm. Getting deals off market for investors is like, it's the end all be all. Like, Yeah, you can do deals on the MLS, but it's very hard. Um, So as an agent, because you were in the business, you had a deal brought to you. Mm -hmm. And safe to say that if you weren't an agent, that deal would not have been brought to you, right?
2: That's 100%. I mean, the tools that we have as agents are bar none better than not being licensed. I mean, that's just for our arena. I know there's lots of wholesalers, investors out there that aren't licensed that make it just fine. But I tell people all the time, I say real estate, has been, and always will be about your relationships. That's it. I mean, business to get done is your relationships and how you've built them and how you've networked and how you've savored um, those friendships and, and, you know, protecting your relationships in real estate will just help boost your business no matter what.
1: So like I spend a bunch of money in marketing to go direct to sellers. And um, I was talking to one of my friends that's in uh, Washington, D.C., and he does the same volume I do. I said, oh, how much do you spend on marketing? He said, zero. Mm-hmm. I said, how the? How are you spending zero? And he said, my whole my whole deal flow is agents. And I have a whole network of agents mm-hmm. that I basically stay top of mind with. Kind of like that's his sphere. That's yeah. the people he's staying top of mind with. And he, he pays nothing for marketing. And I said, that's amazing. Um, cause I get deals brought to me too by agents, but like it's a it's a fractional percentage, but, but it's crazy because like you could, you could eliminate the need to have a really high powered, you know, marketing budget mm-hmm. just by having those relationships. Right. So- my
2: marketing expenses have reduced dramatically since my first year of investing. And I'm only in year four. I mean, it doesn't sound like very long. It feels like a long time, but you know, in the grand scheme of things, you know, four years isn't that long. And I went from a hundred thousand dollars in marketing to 25. And it's because I've taken the time to have lunches, to shake hands, to show up to caravans, to listen to the coming soon, to log on to Facebook and see buyer needs. You know, that's how you get your buyer clients and just helping other agents on social media when they have a question, like, it's just all of every, every, everything counts and they remember you.
1: And that's the part where like, you know, sometimes I make the mistake of of talking a lot about having a marketing budget and the importance of it. And I think again, like going into it as an investor, as an agent who maybe doesn't have a bunch of money to invest Mm -hmm. in marketing, like it doesn't need to be that way. Right, it
2: doesn't,
1: yeah. um, It it doesn't, so um, I have to be careful about that myself when I'm talking to people. Um, But, so you did that that first deal. I'm assuming it was, was it a successful deal?
2: It was very successful, yes. And the agent who brought it to me, obviously she listed it. Yep. Um yeah, so yeah, it worked out and I, I got a little taste of it and I thought, oh, this is addicting. <laughs> I'm gonna go out and find my next deal.
1: Well, that's what like we always say, like just do one. Just like, do one. Just do one deal. Like I don't care, you know, what happens, do one deal, buy one apartment, buy mm-hmm. flip one house, do one investment deal. And you'll never you'll never look back. So, um, now what made you shift? Like, at what point did you shift and say, "I want to do like higher end and get into that like niche"?
2: Um, it wasn't a decisive moment. Exactly. It was more, I had, um, an agent within my brokerage, again, one of those just connections. And he was a, he's a top wholesaler here. And he says, Hey, Jess, um, I'm curious if you're interested in this property down in Bankers Hill, which is a prime location. it's a craftsman. It's just cosmetic. That's what I thought (laughs) when I walked into it. um, Never really ends that way. But I walked through it and I just fell in love with the property. And of course, I analyzed my numbers, crunched my numbers, had the best educated guess I could on this thing. And it went from, you know, my first purchase and flip that I did was $600,000 buy-in. This one was a million. He goes, we don't have that many people who are willing to buy a million dollar house. So I was thinking to myself, I'm like, well, it's just a number because if I'm just doing 10% down, that's not that big of a jump. And if my return is a hundred percent versus 50%, why wouldn't I do that? You know? So it was just that it was just the numbers in numbers out game of I can, I can turn this property around and this design really speaks to me. I have to have it.
1: Yep. Yeah. It's funny because like, I've never went that route. I've always been, you talked about like buying for like 500 in San Diego, like in Boston, that's probably like buying for 400. And that's what we've always done. We've always dominated like the, entry level and mm-hmm. we we love that and those deals scare me like ah. you know we have we obviously have areas here that are you know a million two million dollars and those deals like they scare me i've never really done done them and so i think it's interesting like when people focus on them and there's so many people in my market that do focus on that and um there's definitely less competition for sure because of mm-hmm. that reason like if i'm scared of one then somebody else definitely is scared of doing them too but uh, like yeah. you, like you alluded to, like the profit on those. I mean, more risk, more reward, for sure.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I definitely lose a little bit of sleep during those three months of turning around a luxury property, for sure.
1: Well, I mean, there's no way to eliminate to get to zero risk, right? You know, yeah. like I, I could, like you said about it being a number. I mean, there's no, there's nothing that 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 says that a lower priced property can't fall in price too. There's, there's no. nothing that that says that, right? Yeah, And um, some people who do the higher end ones, they make the argument that like, well, that buyer is a little bit more insulated from an economic, like they're not living as much paycheck to paycheck. So there's all arguments for, you exactly. know, every, every different point of the market. But, um, so would you say at this point that like, you're exclusively focusing on those type of deals Like you're, you're only looking for like the million dollar plus ones,
2: no, I wouldn't say that. I think I, I analyze each one of them as they come to me. And, you know, we've had some deals come to us in a lower market, but knowing that it sells quickly and I really see how much I have to put into the property versus and how quickly I can sell it. Uh, versus the luxury market and the risk. It really is each one I analyze in a separate format. But it just ha- I just happen to really love the luxury design. I feel like the buyers really appreciate all those extra touches. But when it comes to flipping and analyzing if the deal is a go, um, I look at it from just money in, money out at that point.
1: Yeah. Oh, well, I think that's another interesting point about the luxury that, um, like for us, we are not equipped to do. Like I'm not a design person. So I, I think that matters a lot in the higher price it too. Does. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the other thing about investing, like finding the niche that like you, you love, and you're passionate about, like not passionate about design. So it would probably show, you know, in those, in those properties.
2: I mean, it really does. I have investors I've worked with, um, that now invest with me into bigger properties and they've done some on their own. I'm like, oh, I wouldn't have done those. It was Chinese prefabs in a $2 million house and yeah. you know, the buyers will tell you, you know, buyers are specific buyers in that market, they'll notice, they'll see it and they won't love it as much. So it's very specific. Um, I would say that anyone can flip a house. You have to decide what you're good at yep. and make sure that niche applies to that, you know,
1: a hundred percent.
2: I'm not good yeah. at letting go of design. I'm just not good at it. So the yeah. 600,000, I'm going to put too much money into it. And I won't get it back because buyers at that level don't care as much. And I'd be like, oh, dang, that was marble. Yeah,
1: <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like if you're like me, like I didn't grow up like that. So like for me, like I might not even notice, which is like I'm in the business, but I'm not paying attention to those like those, you know, exquisite detail type of, type of things.
2: Yeah. And you won't get your money back. I wouldn't get my money back out of it. And I would wind up losing in a lower market, which is, which is, you know, a weird catch 22, the lower, the lower I go, the more I spend still. And I, my margins go down. So I'd rather come up to a higher luxury market or less competition. I know I can put my design in it, spend more time and the buyers will love it.
1: So one thing that, you know, is inherent in this conversation is just being, being um, a student of your client yeah. and you know if you're investing you know if you're if you're owning rentals your client is your tenant if you're flipping your your client's your end buyer and knowing that person knowing what they want and giving them the product that they want um so obviously it's coming you know across loud and clear, clear that you are a student of the market that you know 100%. and I think that's the other important thing that also gives you confidence but all more importantly gives the market kind of what they want. Mm -hmm. Um, so you've only been doing this for, for four years. You've done a lot in four years. Yeah. You did do it fairly quickly. Now, what would you say to the person that has been a successful agent for a while, that's been sitting on the sideline and knows they want to invest either to buy a property or flip or to buy a property to hold, like what's the biggest piece of advice you could kind of give to them?
2: I would say that my biggest piece of advice would be to silence the fear, because there's that fear of losing, that fear of it's not going to work, the fear of I'm not good enough or I can't do it. I think the fears really drive people's decisions. So I would say if this is something you really want to do. Silence the fear and do it. But you know, surround yourself with people who are, and it's um, it's a little less scary.
1: Yeah. I definitely think that getting around other people is, is critical. Mm-hmm. Um, it Surround happens
2: yourself with other people who are investing or doing what you want to do. Surround yourself with that crowd that you mm-hmm. need to be in.
1: I love it. Um, any, like any big, like future goals in the next few years that like you're, you're looking to achieve. Oh man. Or do you I think get, like one problem- box
2: Right there, Tom.
1: <laughs> oh yeah. No, it, it's, uh, you know, goals are like, we set goals. We set 10 year, three year, one year goals. We follow a methodology called traction and it's tough. You want, uh, it's tough. That's, it's probably the the number one most difficult thing that you can kind of even guess at. So I guess, what do you want to do? Like what's on the horizon for, for just some ideas of stuff that you might be thinking about?
2: Well, I mean, it may, may sound cliche, but with where the housing market's going, I mean, multi-units, are a hot topic right now. We're in what's called like the sandwich generation, right? You're taking care of your aging parents and you also have children. So we're considered the sandwich generation. So to me, I'm thinking for our generation of baby boomer parents, um, multi-unit housing is is on the forefront of our minds. So investing in multi-units is number one. And then number two, personally speaking, um, not just for investing in return, but personally speaking, I'd love to own some commercial buildings. I'd love to tap into commercial. For long-term generational wealth, um, buy and hold of commercial, whether it's apartment buildings or actual industrial commercial buildings. I feel like that's really where I'm going.
1: Nice. Yeah, I love it. Well, you've done a lot, you've accomplished a lot. You know, I wanna congratulate you on that. And um, I appreciate the time for you to come on. And like you said, you know, scream from the rooftop about the stuff that you're passionate about. Uh, The passion definitely comes through. You can see that. And um, it's exciting to see what you've done in such a short period of time.
2: Thanks, Tom. Well, it it was such a pleasure coming on here. And I hope that somebody out there got a couple of golden nuggets. And if they're afraid, just squat up, jump out there, go do it.
1: Yeah, no, they they always do. I mean, again, it's just a matter of like taking action is the Mm -hmm. number one thing. Yeah. So,
2: just get over the fear and just do it. Just one deal at a time. Just get your one deal.
1: All <laughs> right. Time. Thank you, thank you, Jessica. And guys, we'll be back again next week with another guest on the Agent Investor podcast. I'll see you guys next week. Thanks for tuning in.
0: Thanks for listening to Agent Investor and especially thank you for sharing the show with other agents and reviewing the show on iTunes. Every time you share the show, you are potentially changing someone's life. To get weekly video trainings and connect with other agent investors, join our free private Facebook group. Just go to joincameroncoaching.com and we'll add you to the group. We'd love to see you there. And stay tuned for the next episode of Agent Investor.